Part 7 of The Boy with the White Hair Written and performed by Nick Thurston The flame of their love was kindled in a frozen world. Spring seemed as if it would never come. Although it was now months past time for the thaw, snow fell as thickly as if it were still midwinter. Of this, I will speak but little. We all recall it. To those of us who survived that endless winter, eight years have passed in the blink of an eye. Suffice it to say that the sun rose late and gave off little light and even less heat. No crops were sown. The animals died in droves. Famine came knocking. Hafnir's condition worsened by the day. For all his faults, the Thane loved his people more than anything. He was suffering with them, and perhaps even more than they. For deep down in his heart, he knew that the curse which had fallen on them was his own doing. He seldom slept any more. His face had grown craggy and grooved. His eyes were sunken and red. He left his nails untrimmed, and he had taken on the habit of talking to himself in the corridors at night. For her part... Lady Essanaya went about the hall with the tight-lipped frown of a woman left to keep everything together alone. She spoke sharply to the servants and lost her temper at small things. Requests for aid flooded in from across the hold. She could not possibly meet all of them. Instead, she prayed and prayed to the gods. In the small hours of night, She could often be found in the castle's Elden Shrine, muttering to herself and making offerings. Not long after Eglas and Freyrla had consummated their love, the disconsolate Hafnir climbed Eglas's tower and knocked on the chamber door. Eglas welcomed him in and offered him a seat by the window. The thane fell wearily into the chair. I have come for news of the hunt, he said, and to beg for any shred of hope you can give me. He stared blankly out at the barren fields. Though the fire purred pleasantly in the hearth, the cast of Hafnir's face made Eglos shudder. I've just come from the granaries, said the thane. They are empty. A dormouse would starve in them. We have nothing left to give our people. His countenance darkened even farther. Malagorn's shadow falls over us, Eglas. His river will soon be full of those who have died without the strength to cross. They shall be returned, and our land will be overrun by whites. I fear that the end has come. Little did Hafnir know, the Whites were already there. Eglas had met them when he was lost in the Downs. They'd come at night, 
a half-dozen thin, pale beings appearing suddenly at the edge of the firelight. Eglos had tried to speak with them. He thought them to be lost silkies from out in the veldt, but their hollow, hungry eyes told him the truth. He'd barely gotten his sword out in time before they rushed him, clawing, trying to get close enough to bite, to feed. Their hunger gave them incredible strength. He'd had to cut them entirely to pieces to stop them from crawling after him. He had told no one about it. Hafnir shook his head. And the fault... The fault lies with me. No, my thane, said Eglas, banishing the memory of the whites from his mind. You're doing all you can. Hafnir laughed bitterly and turned away. I am glad to say that I might have discovered something to lift your spirits, said Eglas. Sweeping aside the remains of his breakfast, he spread Freerla's map out upon the table. What's this? said Hafnir. Your daughter had the surveyor draw me this map, for fear I might lose myself again. <laughs> I confess, at first I was baffled. My father never showed me such an instrument, but once Freerla taught me to use it, I soon discovered its value. Now... Look. He put his finger on the map, where the mapmaker's illustration of Oathguard spread out to about the size of a coin. The rendering had been done faithfully and in minute detail. There were the steps of Braystil, the castle hill and causeway, and the main gates. What is this cross here? said Hafnir. He was pointing to the curtain wall, where a small cross had been drawn in red ink. That is where the guardsman was taken, said Eglas. And see, it is not the only one. Eglas waved a hand over the map, indicating dozens more of the same. Each of these crosses represents the site of one of the Shavara's attacks, he explained. Using a method of my own devising, I have been able to establish a pattern between them. As Hafnir looked closer, he saw that there were many lines drawn between the various crosses. Above some were written notes on times and distances. And what good is a pattern on paper? Thane Hafnir frowned. I'm no artist, Eglas said. It isn't a design made to look pretty. It shows the location and frequency of the beast's appearances. There are far fewer in the south and southeast of your lands, off the plateau. But here, in the central highlands and to the north and west, the attacks have been much more common. I've also drawn an arrow in the rough direction pointed out by the dying man I met in Vindholm. Now, see where it points. Yes said Hafnir, rubbing his beard. When all is combined, said Eglas, and slid his finger up into the mountains northwest of Oathgard, it means that the monster's lair must be somewhere near 
Eglos stopped his finger on a tiny, insignificant dot of ink and tapped it. Noost, cried Hafnir. By all the gods, I see it now. Eglos grinned triumphantly. That is where the beast is hiding, he said. That is where I will go. That is where I will kill it and end this time of sorrow. Hafnir, his eyes gleaming, leapt from the chair and threw his arms around Eglos. <laughs> Hafnir laughed and, kissing Eglos, began dancing around the room. We've got you now, you bastard! Why, I bless the day that brought you to us, Eglos. Tonight, I shall summon my shield-bearers and inform them of your discovery. The best of them will be ready to ride by your side at daybreak. Taking Eglos by the shoulders, Hafnir looked him in the eye. I... I have made mistakes in my life, said Hafnir. And I have paid for them. Oh, how I have paid for them. Yet since your arrival, I feel as if a new life has begun. If only I'd had such a man as you for a son, my happiness would be complete. My only regret at having found the beast's hideout is that your time with us must soon come to an end. Eglos placed his own hands upon Hafnir's shoulders and returned his gaze. Perhaps, he said, my time here might last a bit longer. Hafnir squeezed Eglos a little tighter then, and a knowing smile spread across his face. That night, Eglos and Freyrla met in the greenhouse. The sky beyond the glass was clear. The air was rigid with cold. But the greenhouse was still warm, and the moonlight fell at a slant through the panes, bathing the lovers as they walked side by side among the leaves and crepers. What troubles you? said Eglos. You seem to be looking at something beyond these walls tonight. Sighing, Freyrla drew herself against his chest. It is nothing, only... I guess I am afraid. When we have parted before, I have worried for the safety of your body. This time, I know not why, but I worry instead for the safety of your Sara, your heart-soul. He took her hands and held them. You need not worry for that, he said. I plan to leave it right here when I go. As long as you take good care of it, I'm sure it won't be in any worse shape when I return. Freerla pulled away from him. What? he said as she went a few paces off. You'd rather I brought it with me? In a nearby planter, an orchid grew on a porous rock, which was kept wet by an artificial waterfall. The orchid was purple and pink and so delicate it looked like it might be ruined by the wrong glance. It turned to look at Freyrla as she approached. Men say such things when they leave, said Freyrla. She began smoothing the leaves of the orchid with her fingers, 
wiping off dust. It arched its neck and shuddered with pleasure. But a man's Sara is her own master, said Frilla. She goes where she will. She cannot be locked up or left to wait somewhere just because you want her to. Frirla picked up a small bottle from a holder carved into the rock. It was equipped with an intricate pump. Using the device, she sprayed the plant with a fine mist. At the touch of the water, the orchid relaxed, its roots settling and spreading over the pitted black stone. You mistake me, said Eglas. I would never chain my Sara here to Oathguard, even if I could. She chose to go to you of her own accord, and if she wishes to remain by your side while I go to face the Kundu, then I will not try to tell her otherwise. A tiny ball of glowing purple mist appeared at the mouth of the orchid. It hovered there for a few moments before drifting upwards, trailing away. As it did, a sweet scent arose in the air. Lilac, jasmine, and lavender. Eglas began to feel lightheaded. He realized that this was the source of Frirla's perfume. Even so, said Frirla, the feeling remains. Frirla took the ball of mist and burst it against her wrist. It dissolved, but the scent lingered. She looked at him, her eyes full of conflicting emotions. Gazing back at her, Eglas was overcome by desire. Not only for her body, which he wanted desperately, but by the wish to set her mind and heart at rest. He took her in his arms and brought her into the shelter of his embrace. She bent her head back to meet his lips, and they lost themselves in the depth of the kiss. Shouting out in alarm, Frirla broke suddenly away from Eglas. What is it? he said. Her gaze was fixed on a nest of vines pouring over a nearby arch. Eglas turned. A pair of golden eyes was peering at them through the leaves. The leaves parted to reveal a long, chisel-like face and a head of straw-yellow hair. I hoped to find the princess alone, said Yellowmane. He stepped out from under the arch. Vines trailed over his shoulder, and he let them fall behind him like a cape. But I am pleased to find you too, Stargazer. I've been hoping we might continue the conversation we started in the hall on the day the Wolden killed himself with his magic. You've had plenty of opportunities to find me, said Eglas. I haven't made myself scarce. No, said Yellowmane, taking another step towards them. No, you've done the opposite, haven't you? Made yourself a regular part of the family. You've cozied up to the Thane, to Hrovak, to the princess. You've been oh so charming. Everyone knows and loves the noble Eglas now. 
despite the fact that we've got nothing to show for putting you up. Eglas squared his body to meet the shield-bearer, but Freyrla put herself between the two men. He wants no quarrel with you, Yellowmane, said Freyrla. Nor do I wish to share your company. Leave us and go to bed. Yellowmane looked at her, but did not seem to see her. His eyes were glazed. His breaths came heavily, and in his hand he clutched a bottle of foldish wine. He wants no quarrel with me, said Yellowmane. Well, that's a pity, because I want a quarrel with him. Yellowmane took another step, wobbling slightly on his feet. You disrespected me, said Yellowmane. You spoke to me as you would to a bangir in front of my fane. No one does that and gets away with it. You're drunk, said Eglas. Do not let the wine make enemies of us. This? Yellowmane lifted the bottle to his lips and drank. Crimson liquid spilled out, dribbling into his beard. This? he said again, and shook the bottle in Eglas's face. More wine sloshed over the rim, dripping down his knuckles. This hasn't made us enemies. This is the only thing that's kept me from your throat these past weeks. Go to bed before you do something you will regret, said Eglas. This only angered Yellowmane further. Draining what was left of the bottle, he threw it hard on the ground. But he was careless of his aim, and the bottle struck Freyrla's foot. She wore only thin slippers. With a cry of pain, she leapt back, clutching her toes. Blood darkened the cloth between her fingers. Guilt flooded Yellowmane's face. He stepped towards her with his hands outstretched, my lady, he began. I... I didn't mean... But it was too late. Leaping forward, Eglos struck Yellowmane in the jaw with all his <laughs> might. Yellowmane stumbled backwards, stunned. Fool! shouted Eglos. Suka! Freerla grabbed Eglos, trying to hold him back. But Eglos thrust her aside and rushed at Yellowmane. By the time Eglos reached him, Yellowmane had somewhat recovered. Regaining his footing, the shield-bearer got his arms up to block the flurry of blows that now fell about his face. Eglos hammered Yellowmane's exposed head and neck with his fists. But Yellowmane was tough and drunk. He didn't go down. Instead, he bowled forward, tackling Eglos about the waist. Eglos was caught off balance. He fell backwards, and the two of them smashed into the rock with the orchid. The glass spray bottle shattered. The planter itself crashed to the floor, splashing water, pebbles, and dark soil across the flagstones. The orchid was destroyed. Stop! cried Freyla. Stop it! Please! Eglos and Yellowmane rolled on the ground punching and kicking. 
Broken glass crunched beneath them. Yellowmane was bigger. He ended up on top. Why didn't you just die out there like the rest of them? said Yellowmane. He punched Eggloss in the face. I command you to stop, shouted Freerla. Yellowmane paid her no heed. You could have found a nice quiet grave and left us alone, he said. He punched Eggloss again. There was a wet crack and blood spurted from Eggloss's nose. She was meant for me, you know, said Yellowmane. It was me she loved before you came here. She promised herself to me. Yellowmane hauled back and punched Eggloss a third time. The force of the blow knocked Eggloss's head against the flagstone floor. Eggloss was stunned. He lay there, defenseless, as Yellowmane panted above him. It is my fate to have her. Yellowmane looked lost. His eyes were pained, confused, and blurry with drink. It seemed as if the only thing he understood was the need to finish what he had started. He reached back, clenching his fingers into a wet, red fist. He was about to hit Eglos again when a dark green blur smashed to the side of his skull. Glass flew. Yellowmane dropped like a sack of onions. I am not fates to give, said Freyla. She tossed the jagged neck of the bottle to the side and knelt beside Eglos. He sat up, spitting blood on the floor between his legs. Are you all right? she said. He nodded. She gave him her hand and he rose shakily to his feet. Your foot, he said. It's nothing. Here, he said, and put his hand around her waist. She lay her arm over his shoulder. What about him, said Eglas. Yellowmane lay on his back, a trail of blood trickling from his head. His eyes were closed. He's not said Freyla. Eglos bent over the shield-bearer. Yellowmane's chest rose and fell as he drew a ragged breath. No, he said, but he might not be quite right in the head after that one. We need to tend to him, said Freyla. I never meant to hit him so hard. I didn't think... (sighs) She gasped and grabbed her foot. Blood was dripping from her slipper. We've got to get you upstairs, said Eglas. We'll send for Hrovak. He can take care of this. They made their way toward the greenhouse doors. As they neared the exit, Eglas looked back. The debris of the fight lay strewn across the floor. Yellowmane's form was barely visible amid the shadows. Was it true? What he said, said Eglas. Did you love him? I was young, she said. I'm not ashamed of it. He came to Oathguard with my grandfather's retinue. His own father didn't want him. He asked Hafnir to take him on and train him. He was a boy then, tall and handsome, and I mistook his arrogance for bravery. 
We made promises. Eglas nodded his understanding. Freyrla kissed him gently on the cheek. When her lips came away, they were tarnished with his blood. She wiped it off and stared at her fingertip. This is an ill omen to mark your departure, she said. I like it not. At dawn, Eglos set out from the castle. Behind him rode twenty of the strongest warriors remaining in Oathguard. Among these were many of Hafnir's own shield-bearers. Their courage had been pricked by Eglos's discovery and by the idea that they were now going to surprise the Kundu where it laired. Much to Eglos's surprise, Provac had joined them as they mounted up, sliding into the column astride a thick-bodied gray falsha. Now that Yellowmane's retired from picking fights, he said, I'm bound to get bored around here. Besides, he muttered under his breath, if I stick around much longer, they'll eat me for my fat. Eglas was glad to have him. The master of the guard inspired a confidence in the men that Eglas, for all his youthful energy, could not. Also among the host was one whose name might by now be forgotten about in our story. It was Gotmard. This was the very same man whom Hafnir had long ago ordered to take his firstborn up into the mountains and kill her. He was eighteen years older now, but his heart was still pure, his sword arm still strong, and he was eager to do his part. Hafnir had given the men falshas from his own stables and equipped them well. The men and their mounts clattered with gear and weaponry as they passed through the streets. News of their departure had flashed through the city fast as summer lightning. It seemed that the whole population of Oathguard had turned out to see the host off. Hollow-cheeked faces lined the streets, too exhausted to cheer. As Eglos surveyed the crowds, he was confused to see that Freerla was nowhere among them. After the fight the night before, he had left her with her ladies to have her wounded foot tended to. He'd expected to see her again before his departure. An uneasy feeling swirled around in his stomach. At the high-arched city gate, Eglos brought his falsha to a stop. A light snow drifted down on the shoulders of the riders as they halted behind him. Eglos turned to Thane Hafnir, who had come along as far as the gatehouse. Hafnir frowned as he looked along the walls. She left before sunrise, he said, to see the Neithid of Shushanay. She should have been back by now. Their eyes were drawn to a disturbance in the crowd. Make way, cried a voice. Make way for the princess! It was Freerla, hobbling, supported by one of her ladies. The crowd parted to let them through. Eglos leapt from his saddle. My lady, he said, rushing to her. What are you doing here? 
I searched for you at the castle, but... You cannot go, she cried out. Or if you do, you must take me with you. Her eyes were wild, and her face flushed, as though she had run a great distance. I have seen Calistra, said Frilla. She is dead, and... and... What's the matter, Frilla? said Hafnir, coming forward to help support his daughter. What's this? Aura's needles! You're soaking wet! Calm down now, and tell us clearly. What has happened? Hafnir tried to wrap his cloak around her, but Freyla thrust him back. Calls for silence came from the surrounding crowds. I have come from the shrine at Shushanay, said Freyla, her chest heaving as she caught her breath. I could not sleep after what happened last night, and went to ask Kalistra for a seeing on the success of your hunt. I found her floating in the pool. She was on her back, staring up through the hole in the ceiling at the sky. She would not respond to my voice. Fearing for her life, I leapt into the pool to bring her out. But when I reached her, she rose up with a gasp and clung to my shoulders. She thrust her face before mine and spoke these words to me. She broke off. The crowd had fallen silent. Only the flutter of horse lips and the creak of leather broke the silence. What words? asked Hafnir. His face had gone white. What words? asked Eglas, taking his lover's hands. They were trembling. Freyrla went on. I know why you have come, the Neath had said. And I tell you this. Eglas will be successful in his hunt. His arrows will set the Shivara Kundu to rest, and it will never again trouble the realm of Evenhold. A whisper rippled through the nearby crowd. It spread through the streets until, like a wave breaking against a rocky shore, it burst into a great cheer. Soon the entire city resounded with joyful shouts. But Freyrla was not finished. What else? said Eglas. What more did she say? Life stirs in your belly, Freyla said. Life? said Eglas, blinking in shock. A... a child? A child? cried Hafnir, with an astonished look at Eglas. Yes, said Freyla miserably. A child. Why, this is news to make a man weep with joy, cried Eglas. Why then do you look as if you've seen a draver? I haven't told you the rest, she said. She went on. The child who now takes shape within you will someday be a great hero of Elgisgond, said the Neefid. But the nine months of your pregnancy will decide the character of his life. If while he remains in the womb, he has both father and mother near at hand, he will live a life filled with joy and happiness. He will triumph over all obstacles in his way. But if Eglos should go alone into the wilderness, 
If mother and father be separated, the child's life will be filled with struggle, strife, and torment. He will meet with endless failure and will never know rest until at last he is destroyed by his enemies. With this, Kalistra let go of my shoulders and plunged back into the pool. She sank below the waters, and not even a single bubble came from her lips. When I dragged her up again, she was still as stone. Those among the crowd who had heard could be seen touching charms, or making signs of dismissal and warding. Hafnir's face was frozen in a grimace that none could read. But Eglas only smiled and laughed. Why, he said, I see nothing whatever to fear in these words. Even if they prove true, they have no sting. For why would we be separate during the pregnancy? The Neithid herself foretold the success of our expedition. After I've put a few arrows into this Shivara, I'll come straight back and will not quit your side again for anything in all the world. And besides, I'm not going alone into the wilderness. These brave men will be my escort. But Freyrla shook her head violently and took hold of Eglas's arm. Please, she said, let me accompany you. I can ride as well as any man. I will not slow you down. I'll do whatever is needed and make myself useful in every way. Only please don't leave me here. Don't leave us here. Eglas frowned. Freyrla's eyes pierced him with the fervency of her plea. He considered what she'd said. He knew that she was right. She could ride better than half the knights in the party. Having her along wouldn't be so bad, would it? It would be easy enough to keep her out of harm's way. And the thought of her warm body in his bedroll... No! All turned to see their thane. His brows glowered, and his jaw was firmly set. I know what has happened here. Yorta only knows what I ever did to her. But ever since I was a young man, Kalistra has made it her business to turn my life upside down. I heeded her words once before, and I have never forgiven myself for doing so. Her direction brought me nothing but misery. Misery beyond words. Here, he cast a glance at Gautamard, who stood nearby. All those years ago, the Thane had let it be known that his first daughter had been stillborn. Only he, Gautmard, and the child's mysterious mother knew the truth. And only Gautmard knew the real truth, that the child still lived. Gautmard turned away, unable to meet his master's gaze. Hafnir went on with fire in his eyes. Now, in her last reading, she tries to tempt my beloved daughter into riding into the very mouth of death? Well, I won't let her. We are better off without that blind old hag. Freerla gasped. Father, do not disgrace her. 
I fear her words. I would do everything in my power to avoid the bad end she has foreseen. No, said Hafnir. We will not live in fear of her any longer. She has left this world. Let her words go with her. But father... No more, said Hafnir. I have commanded it. And while I still rule, my word is of greater weight than that of the Nithidrin. You will remain here, in the safety of our castle, till the hunt has been concluded. Let this be an end to it. Then, in a voice that no one else could hear, he said to himself, She won't have another of my daughters. Even then, Freerla would have gone, but the Thane had set himself in that frame of mind in which he would listen to no argument. When Freerla rose stubbornly against him, he ordered two of his retainers to wrap her in a heavy cloak and bring her back to the castle by main force. And so it was that Eglas and his men rode from the gates of Oathguard beneath a pall of foreboding, accompanied not by the resounding cheers, but by the troubled murmurs of those who had come to see them go.